Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Revenue Marketing Report powered by CaliberMind. Our goal on the RMR is to help marketers move from subject matter experts to strategic business partners. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce Eric Scollard. Eric, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Kamala. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, uh, I'm Eric Scholar, based here in Seattle. I've spent the last 35 years uh, in enterprise IT sales, uh, rising up from first being a, a telemarketer, uh, doing demand gen and, and chasing leads to set appointments for my sales reps, then becoming a sales rep, then a frontline manager, and eventually uh, being a, a CRO. I've been the VP of sales of seven different early stage startup companies that have gone everywhere from you know IPOs to significant acquisitions to unicorn valuations and and the rest. So, I've seen quite a bit of things. These days, uh, I'm the president and founder of my own uh, business called Sales Strategies, where uh, I help companies establish a sales operating system that leads to repeatability and predictability, which is really the holy grail. Uh, of, you know, early stage go-to-market efforts. Yes, yes. And we met while you were in sales leadership at a couple of those aforementioned tech startups that That's right. did really well, <laughs> fortunately. Yeah, we, did, we, we did well together and largely because uh, you were so awesome at, at what you did. So I'm really excited to be here and help out. No, I think your leadership capabilities get a lot of that credit, but <laughs> thank you very much. So speaking of leadership... And I guess this isn't the most graceful transition I've ever made on our podcast, but we're going to go with it. Marketing leaders, I've seen some stats out there. About 80% of CEOs either aren't impressed or don't trust their CMO. And I've seen some key missteps that I think we could attribute to that, but I would love to get your take on it as a sales leader. Sure. You know, first of all, there's there's natural creative tension between the, the frontline sales teams, you know, and the headquarters-based marketing organizations. And so, the CMO and the VP of sales, CRO, whatever we call ourselves, uh, really set the tone for that relationship. And, you know, if if those two executives, if those two leaders are working well together and trust each other and, and, and understand what each other are trying to do, uh, you know, that flows down through the teams and, and they tend to work better together. But if that's not the case, uh, you know, then then things can can get messy and you and I've seen examples of both the good the good and the bad of, of those things you know the the thing that I've always found uh, worked uh, when I was trying to find a partner uh, at the CMO uh, level was somebody who really understood the business who really understood the buyer journey who understood the the way that somebody came to understand our products from the first moment they found our website or went to a trade show all the way out through you know the point where they sign uh, an order and made a commitment. Uh, and in some cases, what can be a struggle is when, you know, marketing can be really very narrowly focused on just the trade show. And after that, it's just a sales thing and nobody really cares. Uh, and so really understanding that whole end to end process means that, you know, we can just have better conversations. I think the other thing that's really, really important is to agree on the definitions of some of these key terms. Like how many times, Kamala, did you and I sit in a room and say, what is a lead, mm-hmm. you know, or what is an MQL? Because if you're going to, you know, if you're going to have this be a key unit of measurement for the business, a KPI or a goal or some kind, you know, we all better be using the same 
words so that when we say we either got enough of them or not enough of them, or we prosecuted them effectively or we didn't, that we're at least working with the same words and that those definitions shouldn't change and shift and, you know, sort of blur over time, depending on whether we're trying to stretch to, to get across a, a, you know, a, a target of some kind. I like CMOs that lean into goals. I like them when they say, you know, we know that we need to generate this much pipeline in this quarter so that we have enough for next quarter, two quarters down the road, and it's going to take this many MQLs. And we agreed on what those are, and we can measure our progress towards them. That that sort of funnel-driven mentality that a sales leader naturally lives in on a day-to-day basis, the more of that there is, you know, in that marketing conversation, the more affinity we're going to have and just kind of the, the better the better off we're going to be. Be transparent. You know, if things are going well, great. Let's celebrate those things. If they're not, let's not hide behind it and try and, you know, deflect and, you know, point in other directions and, and try and make things appear better than they really are. If we missed that number for the quarter, you know, let's not take a victory lap about how great our demand gen was. Yeah. We just missed a quarter. You know, yeah. let's get real about what's going on and figure out how everybody, you know, can can, can be helpful with that. And then finally, because I don't want to go on and on about this, let's have a single source of truth. Whatever mm-hmm. the data we're looking at, let's all agree that we're we're measuring it the same way and we're getting it from the same place so that when we have thoughts about interpretation or analysis or remedies or suggestions or whatever, we're all operating from the same place. And if we do, then we're more likely to to, to find a good solution that works for everybody. Great. So a couple of things there. I thank you and I think my sales leader thanks you for that pipeline to revenue mentality that marketing leaders need to have because if I miss if if I hit my demand gen numbers but they miss their pipeline and revenue numbers, we all missed. So I think that's really critical. But I just want to double down on a couple of things you said and just emphasize them because I think they were great. So one thing I've seen in a lot of organizations is marketing leaders misusing terminology that's pretty consistent across the business. Performance, ROI, and revenue. Conversion. A, Conversion. Yes. Yes. These these words mean something in a greater business context. Words matter. And when you use those words, know that you're not speaking about marketing specific things. Right. You're talking about just context is everything. So that's one point. And then another is if your your numbers are changing, you don't have a good explanation for why it's hard to get to a certain number, mistrust starts breeding, and then you have other people pulling the same numbers you are, and you're going to get different numbers just because of how things are defined. So coming up with that universal definition, documenting it, and socializing it is so critical. Yeah. In fact, one of the worst things that can happen during a QBR is the argument breaks out about who's got the right data. How did you get your numbers? Well, I got them this way. Well, I got them this way. And my numbers, you know, like that is the least productive use of time. If we all have the same data, we've all agreed that this is the core truth of where that data comes from that we report on. You know, we don't spend time debating the the, the data. We spend time discussing solutions or opportunities that, that might exist. And that's where the value is. It's not in the, you know, I like my numbers better than your numbers. You know, let's have a tug of war about that. Yeah. And I think it's so natural for marketers to put a positive spin on things. We do it about our products all the time. Yes, there is that. (laughs) You don't want to list out like all of the feature flaws that your product team is currently working on. That, That wouldn't be good marketing. However, putting that same spin on your data is no good. It's going to spiral out of control really fast. So 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, avoid that bias for making, you know, for, for painting everything with rose colored glasses. I, I, I think that especially in growing companies where you're trying to be aggressive, you're trying to set aggressive targets, you're, you know, you're going to have to be, you know, willing to take some chances and, and not, and if you didn't get there, say so and figure out what we're going to, what we're going to do about it. The other thing that I think can get in the way, uh, and I don't know if this transitioned in more on the operations side, but it's certainly part of the DG demand generation uh, dynamic is some Sometimes an over reliance on tools. You get you get this really elaborate tool chain of things that all cost a lot of money, that take people to manage, that don't work that well together, and then produce muddier and muddier and muddier results and and data that you can't really use. When if somebody just did some fact checking and literally walked through I you know hand, by hand through some of that data, you'd you'd learn a lot more than feeding it into one tool that feeds it into another tool that spits it out and puts it into another tool that then puts it on a dashboard. Nobody knows where the number on the dashboard really came from. Like that stuff just is just disinformation. It's like fake news. It's really bad. I think my PTSD is kicking up a little bit, but that's okay. (laughs) Been there, seen that. And I've seen it on both sides too. Like not necessarily with your sales organizations, but I've definitely seen it. So fittingly, the, the topic of this episode is trust is everything. And on that bent, what do you look for in an operations professional? Yeah. So first of all, um, this sales operations, revenue operations role has really emerged in the last, I don't know, five to 10 years is when you started to see more and more organizations invest in it, you know, and, and there's a, there's a, there's a thesis there. Like I want to start with what the, the point of having that organization, as I said at the top, you know, I, I try to help organizations get repeatability and predictability uh, in their go-to-market so that they can know where to invest, where there's opportunities, or they can see trouble on the horizon early enough that they, that they can do something about it. And the way that you do that uh, in the best way is, is with a combination of you know, art and science, data and insight. But because there's so, much, so many new sources of data these days, and there's so many new tools and applications, that there's naturally this opportunity for businesses to make a good investment in building an operational team that can help support that mission of getting to repeat repeatability and predictability. And that can look, that can come out in a whole bunch of different ways. You know, if I spend this much money at a trade show, how much pipeline will I get? And if I go, if I get this much pipeline, how much am I going to, you know, see at the end of the quarter, you know, at, at the end of those sales cycles? Or if I hire two more sales territories into these geographies in six months, how much, you know, revenue will they contribute? And when you can get to a place where you're pretty confident that you know what those inputs are and what those outputs are and what those, those conversion rates along the way look like, you can you can be really smart with how you spend your money. You know, if you don't have repeatability, you don't have predictability, no matter what you do, it feels like you're getting random, you know, results. Well, then that's a terrible place to be as an organization, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whether it's, you know, the CEO. And so back to your question about what do I look for, you know, from an operations team, uh, you know, the things, first of all, I, I look for there, again, really understanding, uh, you know, the end-to-end processes and how the data comes from like, you know, when you and I would work together, you could explain the number, like, here's the numbers we got. Where did they come from? Like, how did we develop them? And what were the sources that, that they came from? And were they right? You know, so it wasn't just like, hey, you asked for this report on pipeline conversion. Here it is. Is there anything else you need? You would sit down with me and we'd say, hey, we'd go through this. And you'd say, you know, I looked at this thing. And you would, you would first of all be able to tell me if you thought the data was probably right or if the data sources were a little wonky and maybe we should look at them 
you know, with a little bit of apply a little bit of judgment to them or not. Uh, and then you also had, you know, which made you great, uh, the ability to make intelligent recommendations. Like you saw things because you lived in that data. And we got really good about the idea that we measured the same things quarter after quarter after quarter after quarter. So that when you when you look at that same chart or you look at that same report, or you look at that same dashboard for six or seven or eight quarters in a row, you know, it that data can talk to you. And and if you're a, a great revenue professional, you're gonna revenue operations professional, you're going to notice things that I might miss. You know, you would point out certain reps to me and say, that guy's about to quit. Watch this. I can tell you because their pipeline is stale, they haven't generated anything new, they haven't started any PSCs, that person's on the way out the door. And you know, you were right uh, a lot of those times. But but that's what made you good. You didn't just look at it as numbers. You understood what they were trying to do. And that kind of predictability uh, is what makes uh, a revenue operations team valuable to the business. You know, on the other hand, uh, you know, if we've just got a whole bunch of tools that are implemented poorly, uh, we don't know how to use them effectively. Uh, you know, we're not we're not executing well with those, and we don't train people. Then we get chaos, right? Then we just get like, like I said, these food fights about different data sources and arguing about which one's right and blaming somebody because of, like that. Then the trust is gone. Like if there's, yeah. you know, if you don't get that, and so you're in in, in many ways the revenue operator. You're the referee. You know, you're you're out there saying, no, 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 like that. That's not the right way to look at the data. We've always done it this way. Or, yes, this is like you, you can be that arbiter uh, in, in a perfect world when you've established that trust from, you know, the sales leadership, you know, from the from all of the different stakeholders uh, in the in the go to market. That's the big opportunity. It's an investment for the business. I mean, we're hiring now sometimes pretty good sized teams you know, of people that are, you know, making money and have stock options and equity. And so there's the ROI. The reason that works is if you get to that perfect uh, future state of, you know, repeatable, predictable, you know, revenue growth. And, and, and you guys are, are helping us get there. Great. So things I heard there, consistency, transparency, and the ability to roll up your sleeves and actually get on the front lines to understand the entire process from end to end. I have been known to do prospecting and sit on sales calls and all of these things are super beneficial. The more removed you are from any part of the business unit, you, the more you should embed yourself there to understand what's happening. Completely agree. I, in fact, I forgot to mention one thing I think is really important that you used to facilitate, which was process walkthroughs. Like where we would have, we would follow a lead or we would follow uh, a buyer through all the different tools and all the different stages and see how it fell through in the reports just to make sure that we didn't have breakage and, and things falling through the cracks or that, you know, if we thought that, oh, this is an easy way to do it, the ISRs won't mind. And then you sort of walk through a day in their life and you find out that, oh my God, you know, that's really clunky. I mean, no wonder we're not getting great execution at that, at that space. Is there something we can do to make that easier? And if it does, can we get better results? And and having people who are both facilitating that and, and bringing people together to see it with their own two eyes really makes people um, execute better. It's really important. And you did a lot of that. And like you said, get close to the customers. Go on sales calls. Go to trade shows. You know, audit, you know, web meetings if, if you can and just, just listen and, and hear how these things work because then the data will make more sense. Then you'll say, oh, I remember that call. That is that a blip or a trend? Oh, I, I see it now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then I was thinking, let's see here. So I saw a fantastic quote, and I believe in it 100%. It said, data doesn't change people's minds. Stories do. Mm -hmm. 
And that was what made those walkthroughs so effective. I was having a really hard time convincing someone on the executive team that there were too many things being asked of the sales team. And the only way to convince them of that is to make them sit and watch recordings of people actually trying to do the thing. <laughs> the psychology there is just, it's much more compelling than if I said it takes the average ref 15 minutes to create an opportunity, they'd be like, so what? Well, what else are they going to do? They sit around, you're like, but as opposed to like, let's do one together, pretend you're so-and-so and let's do it. And then you realize, oh, that UI is not so great. And that, you know, we've already asked you these seven things and then the output doesn't quite look right. So if you forgot to do this one thing, you got to do it all over again. And people are like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we can do better. So let's fix it. Right. And then that's what you really want. You don't want somebody to just say, oh, this sucks. And it's like, so let's fix it. Right. And then the so let's fix it. So let's fix it. And you get better results, better execution, better morale. You know, because that's the other thing. I mean, at the end of the day, whether you're the CMO, whether you're the, the head of sales, you know, those frontline sellers, those are those are our customers. I mean, if you can do things to improve their quality of life, as opposed to giving them busy work that feels like they're just making them do jumping jacks and push-ups and, you know, calisthenics, you know, that's good for morale. If they've got more morale, they work harder. If they work harder, they do better. You know, they make more money. The company does better. Like all those things, this virtuous cycle spins up if we're focusing on the quality of life at the point of the spear, at the front of the, the business where, where, you know, things really happen. And I was just going to ask you what helps build trust with that operations professional to get them to the point where they can participate. And I love how you jumped in there ahead of time and basically told me what the management team should be doing on their side in order to empower operations people to get involved in a meaningful way. How can operations people build the trust to get to the point where they are getting handed those key projects? Well, so competence. I mean, let's just, just start with, with that, just competence and effectiveness. Meaning, uh, and this I'm speaking about you, I mean, fast, <laughs> uh, great attention to detail, you know, like, the, you know, if it's like, hey, I need, I need a workup of, of some data that, you know, we look at this thing and it's like wrong the first time and it's wrong the second time and it's late and it's slow and then it's still only 70% right. But I'm like, all right, that's good enough. I'll just take it from here. You know, that, that is, that's going to kind of push me away, you know, uh, as opposed to this stuff was, it was gold. It was, I got it. I got it almost before I asked for it. It was right. And it was, and it was wrapped in some, some insight or some idea or, you know, some assessment, like this data looks really good and here's why. And, and here's what I think it says, or, you know, this is the best we could get with what we have. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, like those sort of things say to me, all right, I got a partner over here, somebody who's switched on, you know, somebody who's, who's thinking about it the way, the, the way I do. And then at that point, it's like, all right, let's get in here and huddle up and, and, and figure it out. Yeah. And you were the, one of the most data savvy sales executives I've ever worked with. Cause I, I knew if there was a number that was off, you were going to spot it right away. <laughs> so it, it's just, it speaks to what I've said quite a bit on the show is that if you're just delivering a yeah. report, you're missing an opportunity you because you can provide a lot of flavor by understanding what impacts those numbers and what can be changed in order to make those numbers better. Yeah. And, and like I said, that revenue operations person is 
living closer to that data than, than I probably do. And so there, you know, you're going to have ideas. And then the other thing is, is be confident in your opinion, you know, keep me in check. It's like, Hey, Eric, I think you're looking at this thing the wrong way or to, to some other leader, like have the courage to say, wait a minute, like, this is something that we should be paying more attention to than I think we are. And I think sometimes I've seen operations people get a little bit intimidated because, you know, I'm a vice president or something like that. And they, you know, they don't want to speak necessarily truth to power or there's just a, a little too considerate of, the, of, of, that, of that title when, in fact, what I really need is the truth. What I really need is the courage of your conviction. So don't be afraid uh, to, to express that. I would just say, just make sure you're right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and we're not pushing, you know, we're not pulling the fire alarm and then we look close. Oh, never mind. Sorry. My bad. Like, that's us. Yeah. Yeah. But not that I didn't do that a few times, but it's like burning and getting credits back. You want to make sure that you're getting more credits back than you're burning. Yeah, for sure. And so I always like that. Again, I, I think there might be other people who have a different sort of perspective on, on, on operations. But as you said, I was, I was deep in the data, but I wasn't um, trying to be one of these leaders that everybody hates where they just run the business by a spreadsheet because that's not it at all. You have to you have to leaven your your instincts and what you see with your eyes and what you experience when you're out in the field with the reps with and the things they're telling you. The reps are coming to me and they're saying, I'm not getting enough leads or my ISR sucks or the channel team's really letting me down or you know the product doesn't have this or whatever. And then I'm checking that with like whatever else I can see to triangulate. I, I had this phrase you remember triangulate on the truth. You know, take what I see, try and get some data that either confirms or contradicts it, you know, get some other people to like. And when you start to see enough of those things converge into a space where it's got some consistency, then I get really confident. Then my conviction goes up. And then, you know, I you know, then then we're probably on the right track. We're probably going to spend money in the right place or, or make the right decision or you know, avoid stepping in a pothole, whatever those things are. But, but that's what I'm really trying to do with all this data. It's not like I think that data is the answer to everything. It's just an important piece of how we triangulate on truth. Well, one of the things I really valued about working with you is you would let me know when I was missing context and I was misreading something because I didn't understand the context. And also, whenever we disagreed, which would happen, I knew that you'd still listen to what I had to say, go think about it, and then we'd meet again on it and try to discuss, okay, what was I missing? What were you missing? And how can we kind of meet in the middle to, to get this thing moving in the right direction? Yeah. And, and what that was about, I always felt anyway, was a search for truth. You know, it wasn't about right, wrong. It wasn't about win, lose. It was like, hey, we're trying to find out what's really going on here. You know, and I've got some ideas and you got some ideas and, you know, we both probably have a piece of it, but not all of it. And so I guess if I was, if, if there's any sales leaders that are, you know, listening to this podcast, the other thing I would say is spend time with your RevOps team. As a sales leader, it's really easy to sort of spend all your time talking to your reps or, you know, the people that are directly in your organization. And we're so busy. Like right now, it's the end of the quarter. What is it today? It's late March. You know, normally at this time of the quarter, my hair is on fire. I'm, you know, I'm sweating all the deals and I'm running all the numbers and trying to figure out how we're going to bring this thing in for, for a landing. And it's easy to underinvest in, you know, in that revenue operations team, the more time you spend with them, the more you're going to get out of them. The more they understand what you care about, the more likely they're going to be to able to, to, to help give you, you know, what you need. And, and that's also, you know, back to your question earlier about trust. That's another way you build trust as you spend your time. But if you only show up once a quarter for the QBRs and then yell at everybody because you don't like the way the data looks like, 
that's not going to do it. You know, you're not going to get what you want. And then you're going to, then there's just bad outcomes across the board. And you're not getting the ROI on what you spent building the team in the first place. Yeah. And for those of you introverted ops people listening right now, make it a priority. If we get back to the office at any time to stop by people's offices, just to say hi and not when you need something all the time, Uh but just like socialize, make sure that you're there. And I noticed a lot of times when we'd have that conversation, you'd, you'd tell me you had a suspicion about something or you'd heard something and then I could go research it. But that was really valuable. I thought in order to build the relationship a little bit. Yeah. You reminded me of another one, which is myth busting. You and I would have yes. about myth busting. I yeah. heard somebody say that it's like this, you know, uh-huh. you know, true or false. And you would go back and you'd come back and say, no, no, no. They're just, you know, they're, they're just belly aching, you know, and I could, then I would push back and I'd be like, Hey, you guys got this wrong. Or it's like, yeah, actually look at that. Mm-hmm. You know, but that myth busting conversation we would have, I thought that was, those were great. You have to catch that kind of stuff early. And it served me too, because I knew if you had been hearing about it, it was only a matter of time before it would bubble up across the entire company. So the quicker you can get on that, the better. Yeah, exactly. So before we talk about where people can find you online, I have to take the opportunity to ask you what you think about this new trend towards revenue operations. Well, I, I think it's great, and I think I touched on a, on a couple of the, the elements of it. We we have a bunch of new tools now. I mean, there's all these great, you know, and, and we're just on the brink of these intelligent applications, which, you know, marry up artificial intelligence with, you know, like software as a service to, again, try and replicate in some ways many of the things that a, that a revenue operations team is doing. And I, I think you need people to, to work alongside of those applications to make sure that they're, they're really getting what you need out of them. But, you know, these, they, they cost a lot of money. <laughs> There's a lot of data out there. And again, trying to figure out what's a blip, what's a trend, trying to figure out what's statistically significant and what's not, what you can ignore, uh, what you can't, uh, is, is really great. Uh, the other thing that I, I think, as I said, that revenue operations organization, you're kind of a referee. You're sort of the mediator. You're the you're the the, the go between between you know sales and marketing and, and and in some cases even manufacturing operations and finance. You know in in some cases and tying those those islands together, I think is really important because sales is getting more tooled up. Marketing we already talked about. You know tool sprawl there. The finance team's got all their stuff. And and if there isn't somebody who's kind of gluing all that stuff together, people just they go in different directions, and and then they sort of retreat to their own camps and start throwing rocks at each other. And I really feel like you know that's that's where the revenue operations team can really come in. And, and again, I I think I said it briefly, but understand what your return on investment is. Why did the organization hire you guys? Yes. It's to show me trends that we can lean into and invest in, uh, warn me about trouble soon enough that I can do something about it, and uh, you know and help me get to that holy grail, the holy grail of repeatability and predictability of the business in which. Whichever place it is, and and if you guys are doing that, then boy, you know you're you're worth your weight in gold. Yeah, I am telling the practitioners out there. The moment I figured out how to tie ROI to what I was doing, unlocked my career. Like yeah. that's just it's oh, do it. Take the time. Yeah, Eric, thank you so much. Your time is precious, and I appreciate you spending some here. How can people find you online? Uh, pretty easy to find. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Eric Scholard, and I'm at Twitter, which is at Eric Scholard. So those are those are kind of the easiest ways to find me these days. And uh, uh, yeah, hit me up if you've got any questions or uh, you know ideas or things that, that came up here that you want to share with me. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. So look forward. Wonderful. To 
Wonderful. And for those of you listening who enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell two people. It does make a difference. And for those of you looking for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com.